Hello friends, this is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Welcome back. We're talking to Lynn Wilder. Today we're going to finish up this interview with Lynn. We're talking about, uh, well, her testimony of how she found herself in the Mormon Church, the Latter-day Saints. Uh, and then, well, how did she escape? What were the things that triggered uh, those thought processes that she needed to leave? What was it? about Mormonism and the Bible uh, that led her to the truth. You're not going to want to miss this one. Uh, there's some really fascinating insights in the second half of this interview. Uh, I personally think I need to rethink how I approach uh, trying to reach out to Mormons. After talking to Lynn... Uh, yeah, and I believe you guys, too, will will also be thinking about, hmm, and also you guys as well. You'll probably want to rethink how you've been reaching out to Mormons. Uh, so anyway, with that, let's go ahead and jump right in with the rest of this interview with Lynn Wilder. Again, uh, we're talking also about her book, Unveiling Grace. You can find it on her website as well as Amazon. Uh, I did find that audible.com also has an audio version which I consume so many books that when I find something on audio <laughs> I jump on it because that allows me to uh, consume even more books so anyway there's that option out there anyway so yeah let's go ahead and jump right in Lynn Wilder welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast thank you I am thrilled to be here. I'm actually an advisor for Impact Campus Christian Fellowship at Florida Gulf Coast University, so I have a real heart for reaching high school and college-age kids with the gospel. Awesome. Well, great. Okay, so I've already explained to uh, my listeners that uh, you used to be a Brigham Young University uh, professor, yeah. And you were part of the Mormon faith for quite a long time, uh, you and your husband and also your kids, uh, and somehow you came out. And, and I would love to hear about that today, but first of all, uh, have you always been a Mormon, or how did you get involved with uh, the LDS? I grew up what I would say nominally Christian in Indianapolis, Indiana. My parents took me to church every week, but I only recall one time in all of my growing up years that the Bible was actually opened and read. So I had this sense of who Jesus was, and we did this kind of formal going to church, but I did not know Jesus, and I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Went off to college, um, took notes, uh, about all kinds of Eastern philosophies and all kinds of strange things they were teaching me in college, took it right <laughs> in, you know, and right. um, eventually met my husband, and at the age of 24 and 25, we were, we'd been married three years, no children, but we were looking for a church. He had grown up Baptist, and um, he, too, didn't really understand the gospel. Two Mormon missionaries knocked on our door. Mike invited them in. I wasn't home at the time, and they began to come and teach us this gospel of Mormonism probably 10 weeks, twice a week, 
until we decided to join the Mormon Church. It's interesting for Christians to know that 85% of people who join the Mormon Church come right out of biblical Christianity, like Mike and I did. Um, their kind of target uh, population are folks who know a little bit about the Bible, but know nothing about doctrinal differences and don't recognize the Mormon church as what I now know as a false Christ. Interesting. Yeah. And and are they still trying to identify themselves as Christians? Absolutely. Actually, when we first joined the church in the late 70s, they did not want to be called Christians. You were Christians. Mormons were Mormons. Mormons believed they had the fullness of the gospel. Christians just had a little bit of the truth. So it was an add-on religion. You know, you guys aren't often left field, you Christians, but what you have is not enough, and we need to add to it with Mormonism. So it was interesting. I didn't ever see Christians as as having an opposite doctrine, which I know Christianity now is contrary to Mormonism. At the time, I just saw Christians as having a little of the truth, and Mormons had the fullness of the truth. Mormons believe that when the original 12 apostles died, Christ's church failed, and it went into apostasy. So when, you know, Catholicism rose up and Protestantism rose up, those were false faiths or they were aberrations of the truth of the real church that Christ himself had set up. Not until 1830 when Joseph Smith established the Mormon church um, was the real church brought back to the earth for these they call latter days. Right. Now... Getting back to it, right, Joseph Smith, uh, when he asked, supposedly, it, you know, as the story goes, when he asked God which of the faiths were right or which of the denominations were correct, God said none of them. So it's interesting that, that, that on one hand they're saying, oh, yeah, we're Christians. And on the other hand, they're saying, yeah, but none of your Christian faiths are correct. We're the only true church. And your professors are corrupt. I mean, not just is it not correct, but it's um, not true, you know. So that was my view of Christianity, although, like I said, um, I really felt like they meant well and they had a little bit of the truth. And so what kind of hooks did they have? I mean, when they when they came over, here, over to your house and they started talking to uh, your husband, Michael, and eventually started talking to you, too. What types of things were they saying that were appealing to you that kind of roped you in? Um, not as much what they said was what they did. I mean, these are two young men who had given up two years of their lives, two young, clean-cut, nice, conservative, yeah. you know, kids in suits who had given up two years of a college education to go out and preach the gospel door-to-door, which, first of all, that's very impressive. It was yeah. to us. And then we got attached to these kids. You know, we were just a couple years older than they were, got very attached to them. But the other thing that the Mormon Church did so well for us was 
My husband was um, had just gone to work as a professor at Ball State University where we had just graduated. He just finished his master's. And there was another professor in his department that was Mormon, and the missionaries hooked that professor's family up with us, and they began to have us for dinner, take us to church, love on us, just took us in like family. And, you know, Mike and I both came from wonderful Christian families, and yet this love uh, that the professor's family offered began to supplant the own love of our biological family. So, you know, part of what draws people to Mormonism, Mitt Romney's family, everybody says, oh, they're such wonderful people. They're such a wonderful family. They love each other. They hang together. And that family atmosphere, you know, it wasn't just that family and us, but it was the whole church in us. It's a whole culture that is not a Sunday thing. It's 24-7. They keep you busy. You get a calling. Um, they build you up, you know, and um, it was just for us inviting. You asked what one of the hooks is. One of the hooks is the Bible, Mormons actually, their eighth article of faith says, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. Mm. So Mormons will use a lot of the arguments even that atheists use about the Bible. Oh, yeah, but one monk copied it and then another one and there were errors and you can't trust it, right? So Mm -hmm. Mormonism does not wholly trust the Bible, but they use it. Um, to bring Christians into Mormonism. That's one way they use the Bible. Mormons actually have four what they call standard works, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Bible, and the Book of Mormon. And, and as a Mormon, I place the Mormon books above the Bible because that was the one that I thought might be mistranslated in some places and I couldn't trust it that the other three had come directly from God um, to Joseph Smith and so they were reliable uh, yeah yeah I, I actually had uh, Sandra Tanner on oh probably about six eight months ago we talked about the Book of Mormon and it's it's fascinating yeah because there are so many problems in the Book of Mormon, so many indicators that, hey, this is uh, a fictional work here. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's it's another testimony, and it, it's actually held in greater regard than the New Testament or, well, the Old Testament, for that matter, the whole Bible. So were you encouraged to read your Bible a whole lot as a Mormon? When the missionaries first came to the door, they gave us a few Bible verses to read, but very soon they switched to the Book of Mormon and then eventually teach you that it's the most correct book on the face of the earth, that it still says that in the introduction to the Book of Mormon today. They believe that it is. Of course, at the time, I did not know that the Bible has historical evidence, archaeological evidence, geographical evidence, artifacts, you know, all these things that corroborate the cities, the people, the time period, the events of the Bible. Book of Mormon has nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, a lot of the things in the Book of Mormon 
are contrary to what archaeology says is true or what, you know, the Book of Mormon is supposed to be about a group of Jews who left Jerusalem before Babylon conquered it in like 687, 686 B.C. Mm-hmm. And they sailed to America and they established um they established the civilization here. But the Book of Mormon has all these logical errors, like if you only have 20 people that sailed over, how can you build this huge temple that it describes building, you know, and it doesn't <laughs> describe meeting any other people? There are just some things that are so illogical that never occurred to me. And I'm a research-trained professor, Right. Part of that in Mormonism is that my faith was not built on reason. My faith was built on feelings. Um, When the Mormon missionaries challenged us to decide whether we were going to become Mormons, they take a place out of, I think it's, James. I can't remember now. <laughs> no, it's in, yeah, it's in it's... the Book of Mormon. And you're supposed oh, to oh. go to your knees and ask God if the Book of Mormon is true. Yeah. And then you wait for a feeling. And what you're looking for is this warm, fuzzy feeling. And then you know the Holy Spirit is telling you that it's true. Well, I didn't know enough about biblical Christianity to know feelings can be counterfeit by the opposite side, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have this testimony then that's built on this warm, fuzzy feeling. And when you're shown all these illogical things about Mormonism or the Book of Mormon, it doesn't matter because your testimony um, is hooked on a spiritual experience you think you had. You know, it's interesting, too. I've, I've had a lot of Mormons over to my house and a lot of missionaries. I think I've been blacklisted, but um, they never come over anymore. It's probably Red been... dotted. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's been about three years. They, they actually had some um, big... I, I really don't know a lot about the, the leadership and the hierarchy that you find in, in the, the LDS movement, but they had some big-name guy come down. He actually visited my house, and it was four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, yeah, that was the last time. That was the last time they ever came here. Um, they, they don't, when you have a discussion with them, uh, they don't take to opposition very well either. Um, in fact, and, and I've heard you mention this in a different interview uh, let's see here. Contention is of the devil. Now, I never heard that until I heard you talk about it. Um, can right you talk out of the about Book that a little bit? It's scripture, right out of the Book of Mormon. Yes. So, anyone who contends with you or presents something that's opposite of what you believe, um, I mean, how's this for a trick? <laughs> you, you look at that person as if they're the devil, and you completely shut down. And in fact, what Mormon missionaries will often do if you're presenting something opposite is default to their testimony. I know yeah. that is true. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know. It's like putting your hands over your ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. You know, the, the reasoning stuff we don't want to deal with because we had the feeling so we know it's true. 
That's exactly right. And and I've seen that play out so many times where this kind of glazed look comes over their face and they start spitting out this, this testimony, kind of just blocking you. Uh, from going any further, it's oh, it's it's discouraging actually. Um, well, that what does that tell you then about how to deal with Mormons? You can't do a confrontational. Well, of course you do whatever the Holy Spirit directs you to do with any particular person. But I would say generally, if you're trying to show a Mormon where there might be doctrinal errors between biblical Christianity and Mormonism, that just telling them they're wrong and then opening something and showing it to them, you know, and being very direct to them is contentious and it makes you look like you're the devil's advocate. So lots of prayer, lots of relationship lots of respect, gentleness. I mean, they treat each other that way. In fact, let me tell you, when I was at BYU, before we started faculty meeting, everyone brought their scriptures in, and we did a little devotional. And to me, it was almost this thing like, we don't want any contention here. We want everybody on the same page. You know, we're, we're not going to argue things. We're going to all get along kind of thing. In fact, in my department, if we had any great disagreements, they sometimes took us on a retreat away from the university until sure. we were kind of all in unity, all on the same page. So. No, contention is not anything they think is a good thing. Therefore, <laughs> you don't have this critical reasoning going on, right? If you can't contend, if you can't hear another point of view, then you can't use your your reasoning brain. And one of the things I realized when I left BYU was that we were teaching our students to use critical thinking in biology and geology and and every other academic area, but when it came to faith, shut your brain down and follow the prophet. Um, use your testimony, use your feelings, and just don't listen to anything opposite. I love biblical Christianity because the Bible itself um tells you to test everything yeah. and test it against the word. And you want mm -hmm. to hear different points of view and you want to figure out from the word whether that matches the word or not. You're supposed to test the spirits um, instead yeah. of ignore them, right? Right, right. Interesting. So, um, you know, going back to some of the hooks, some of the other things that draw people into this movement, um, I've also heard that, uh, I guess, similar to what you see in Freemasonry, uh, there is the, the, this um, element of if you're Mason, you're definitely going to have a job. If you go through hard times, you know, somebody's going to help you out. They're going to help you find a job. They're going to help get some food in your pantry. Uh, they're going to pick you up when you're down. There's like this real strong sense of like a, a family that is true, um, and those things also happen in a gang. I teach multiculturalism, and, and that's I used to work with kids in gangs. Um, there seems to be a real human need to belong to a system 
where you know what the limitations are, you know what the rules and regulations are, therefore you can decide your place, be comfortable, and work your way up the ladder and know how to be recognized, um, know how to be loved, you know. And I think legalistic religion provides that for people who do want Christ, but they want to know what the rules and regs are that I need to do in order to be closer to him, missing the whole point of grace. Um, But Mm. Mormonism is not the only one that way. In fact, I would say everything outside of true biblical Christianity requires some kind of works or some kind of reaching, right? Um, Right, right. I, I just, yeah, I've, I've seen how that works firsthand with a few uh, old friends of mine who were part of uh, Mormonism that when they needed a job, <clears throat> somebody was right there to get them a job. Uh, when they needed, when their parents needed help, maybe they were a little low on money, they were right there to pick them up. It's, uh, uh, it's fascinating, yes. And, and like you were mentioning, they're very patriotic. Uh, they're USA all the way. <laughs> you know, I can yeah. appreciate that. Um, Traditional th- family. That's right. They're they're just a, a good, clean-looking family. Uh, everybody is generally very clean-cut, very uh, friendly. Uh, the the missionaries that came over to my house, they noticed that uh, part of my backyard didn't have a fence, and immediately they were like, "Well, hey, can we come over and help you build that fence?" Mm, yeah. I mean, and yeah, my jaw dropped to the floor. I was thinking, wow. Now, there hasn't been a single Christian who's offered that to me, and here these guys are. Uh, I didn't, you know, take them up on that. I just, you know, I didn't want to feel indebted to to them, if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, it just kind of blew me away. So, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) When I was um, a Relief Society president, each congregation, they call them wards, which is a really interesting term for a congregation. Um, Every ward has a bishop who's like the pastor, and then he'll have two counselors that are like assistant pastors, and then there's kind of a female leader of the ward, and that would be the Relief Society president. Of course, she can only lead females. So I was the Relief Society president a couple of times. And part of my responsibility was to find where people had needs and then make sure that they were filled. So I did things like every week filled grocery um, orders for people who needed them. We helped pay rent sometimes. Um, Now, the the folks in turn, though, had to be active in church, needed to be paying tithing. Um, so it's a reciprocal kind of relationship. But you are right. There's a, There are long arms of watching out for people, talking recently, uh, talking yesterday to someone who, uh, a young man, a freshman who just went off to school this fall a couple of weeks ago, picked up my book, Unveiling Grace. He's Mormon, read it, now has all these questions about his faith. But his parents are putting great pressure on him to do a mission. You know, they've already called the church in his area to tell them to go find him. Um, 
long arms of both love, but also what I consider, it's a psychology term, enmeshed. It means that it's almost an unhealthy kind of relationship of watching over someone else that should be making decisions for themselves. Right, right. They're, they they really uh, find their way into every aspect of your life. It's true. When we moved, to, when we left Utah and moved to Florida, we decided that we were never going to church again. So we had never showed up in the church here in Florida, but they knew well we were here. Um, they they emailed me at work. They sent invitations. They. Uh, we were in a gated community where uh, visiting teachers from the church were not supposed to come see me, but they would sneak behind the gates and leave <laughs> my door. And it was a little spooky at first. It's like, wow, can't you ever get free from the Mormon church? And this went on for, ooh, probably two years after we'd already given up our membership and were supposed to have been a sponge from the church roles. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay, what, what's it like on the inside of, of Mormonism? I mean, what, what does the typical service look like? Um, you know, how often do they meet? How does it work? Oh, Three-hour meetings every Sunday, and now oh. that I'm a biblical Christian and can raise my arms <laughs> and praise God, I look back and think, boring, how did I do that all those years? Um, lay people would just be invited to speak, uh, and they would speak. And so that's, you didn't have some great preacher pound in the pulpit. It was just lay people, and usually there was a teenager every week. But the Mormon Church does a great job from the time that kids are two or three of putting them at a pulpit and having them speak. So Mormons have these great skills for public speaking, um, no fear of sharing the gospel, knocking on doors. Um, and we were taught, you know, that we had to rise above everyone in the social environment so that other people would want to be like us. So our kids needed to be the best athletes and they needed to have the best grades at school. And I did put that kind of pressure on my kids, and um, often they were in those places, and the whole idea was that people would look to you as an example and say, wow, what do you have that we don't have? But now that I'm a biblical Christian, those kind of appearance things don't matter anymore, right? I don't have to be the best looking. I don't have to have the best grades. God doesn't care about those things. He cares that I have faith in him, that I surrender to him daily, that I'm willing to do his will, and that might be walking among the homeless and looking just like them. Um, it, it's, it's not an appearance thing. However, the world really seems drawn to that appearance thing, and I think the Romney family during the election is just a great example of everybody looks good and they're healthy and they're thin and they... You know, they uh, mm -hmm. have, and Mormons always have, are well-educated, very, very high rates of folks going on to school, and they are 
leaders, right, at their places of work. There are lots of Mormons in the military, uh, lots of Mormons in the CIA, lots of Mormons getting into government. Um, Harry Reid is a Mormon, you probably know. Oh, really? Harry Reid is LDS, yes. Um, Glenn Beck is a very famous LDS person that you know, has been doing some walking side-by-side, side, even with some Christian organizations. That fascinates me. That I mean, that, that just blows me away when you find out that certain Christian organizations are recognizing uh, Mormonism, recognizing Glenn Beck as a Christian. Um, y y you've got to wonder, what what is your definition of Christianity? Uh, of course, well, there's a lot of organizations that are, are partnering with uh, Islam as well, with uh, this whole Chrislam movement, but uh, that's a whole other subject. Uh, well, huh. if you know the Bible, um, the very basics of biblical Christianity are things that are foreign to Mormonism. You know, it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Mormons do not use the cross. They believe that the atonement happened in the garden when he prayed and he sweat great drops of blood. So when you get down to just the basics of Christianity, the nature of God, well, biblical Christianity believes in the Trinity. Uh, Mormon scripture actually says it's a heresy. They believe that the three members of the Godhood are three separate gods, one in purpose, and that they began as men and worked their way to Godhood. Um, in Mormon scripture, you have a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. They have sex oh. in heaven, then they have spirit children. Those spirit children live in a pre-existent kind of holding tank until it's their turn to come to earth and get a body, which you need in order to progress to godhood. And um, that's why Mormons are always evangelizing. They have to help people remember who they are from the pre-existence and come back to the true faith. Um, Mormonism is a system of works. You can't actually get back to live with Heavenly Father unless you go to the temple and do all of these works. They also believe that after you're dead, you can be saved, which is part of what goes on in the temple is doing um, ordinances for those who were already dead on their behalf so that they can accept the gospel in the next life, the gospel of Mormonism. Mm, okay, so you brought up uh, the the temple. Now, it's my understanding you and Michael spent some time in the temple. Is that right? We worked in the temple for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I, I've, I've seen some videos online. Man, uh, the, here in northern Colorado, in a city very close to here, uh, Fort Collins, they're building a temple. Now, my day job is uh, I'm part owner of a company that installs high-end security systems. And, boy, I tried so hard to get in there <laughs> yeah. as their installer because I wanted to see it from the inside. I thought, wow, if I could uh, develop a relationship there, I'd be able to go in there from time to time. And, and uh, wow, the, the insight I might be able to gain. No, 
No, they only hire Mormon contractors. I figured that out pretty quickly, so there was no way I could get in there. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I, <laughs> I can get my hands on some really good covert technology and, and make a really classy video, but, you know, who, who's with me out there? <laughs> well, you probably know someone by the name of New Name Noah did actually go through the temple ceremony with a video on his watch. And you can oh, find cool. on, on YouTube, you can find on the Internet the entire ceremony. Um, probably bore you to tears, but, you know, still kind of interesting in its own right. So what, what happens in the temple? What What is all that? Well, the first... Kids start going to the temple at the age of 12, and, but they can only go to the basement level of the temple. Usually there are at least three levels of the temple. And what you do at the basement level is you go into this huge baptismal font that is on the back of 12 oxen, kind of like the Old Testament oh. describes. Uh-huh. And... Um, you do what's called baptisms for the dead. So you've got this 12-year-old, and she'll go into that font, and in front of her on a screen, all these names of dead women will pop up, and the gentleman raises his arm to the square, um, says a a ritualistic uh, thing and then begins to dunk her on behalf of Emily so-and-so, on behalf of Jane Brown, on behalf of, and someone might do maybe 12 of them and then they bring another youth in and that youth does another 12. The idea is you can't be saved without baptism into the Mormon church But if you didn't hear about Mormonism in this life, you get another chance after you're dead because Christ will teach you about it and there will be Mormon missionary kind of folks on the other side teaching you about Mormonism. But you still can actually be saved if you accept it on the other side unless you've gone through physical ordinances. Um, It says in their, um, let me see, Articles of Faith that you're Saved by grace, something like by the, you're saved by the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. So the way you get saved is by these ordinances. So you'll take someone's name and first you'll baptize them for the dead. Then those same names go up to the next level and there's a washing and an anointing process. What? Yeah, oh my. And when I first did the washing and anointing, they touched all kinds of very private parts of your body. And you're, you're naked during this with a kind of a shield on that looks kind of like a gaucho, you know, a white (laughs) gaucho thing. And uh, you go through these different, these four stations and first they wash you with all these ritualistic things they say and then you go to the next one they anoint all these different parts of your body and then the third one is they give you the garment of the holy priesthood Um, Mormons who are good regular temple goers will wear underwear this garment of the holy priesthood that reminds you of your faith who you are 
um, what your responsibilities are, you know, what works you need to do, that kind of stuff. So Mike and I wore those Mormon garments for 30 years. So, so it's almost like those, you know, as people jokingly refer to the magic underwear, it's almost the same concept as what you would see when you see a Jew wearing his yarmulke. It's, you know, that's supposed to, part of that is supposed to symbolize the weight of God's stare upon your head, like God is looking at you. So the underwear is to remind you of this continual walk. That is part of what it does. The other thing we were told is that it will physically and spiritually protect you. So it protects you spiritually from attacks, I guess, from the devil. And it's supposed to physically keep you from harm. So there were all kinds of stories, uh, Mormon myths that would run around that I always believed, right? Where somebody would be in a fire and all his body was burned, but where his Mormon garments were, nothing was touched. (laughs) Or somebody would be drowned and, you know, I don't know. Or a shark would attack them, and you know they lost the bottom of their leg, but it was all fine where their more where their Mormon garments were. That's how reverently Mormons believe in those garments. After wow. the washing and anointing, you go to a probably hour and a half instructional ceremony called the endowment, and you make six covenants there, and you learn signs and tokens which I now know are the same signs and tokens from masonry. Joseph yes, Smith was a mason. But, of course, I didn't know that as a Mormon and knew nothing about masonry. And then the very last ordinance in the temple, in the, the highest part of the temple, um, is something called a ceiling. And so you actually can't live... In Mormonism, you actually can't live with God the Father in the next life if you're not married. So you have to be married to a good, temple-going Mormon, someone who has a temple recommend. It's actually a little card you, like, carry in your billfold. <laughs> and is, it, is it like a proximity card, like you wave it in front of an electronic reader and it lets you in, or is it some kind of like a badge? Um, it looks... When I was there, it looked kind of like a library card. I know they're electronic now, so I'm not sure what they look like now. But I'm, I'm sure it does. I'm sure that it does track. I've heard that electronically it'll track which temples you've been to and how frequently you're going to the temple and that kind okay. of stuff, which probably means... That's how the brethren at the top decide who the faithful are, you know, and who needs to have certain callings, and that would be my guess. Of course, I'm not a brethren at the top, so I I don't know that for sure. But the last ceremony at the top of the temple, then, is the sealing. So Mike and I were sealed together as a couple. They believe that marriage is for this life and for the next life. Mormons also believe that there are more righteous women than men, so when you get to the next life, there aren't going to be enough good priesthood holders for all the men. So you need to be polygamous. Besides, you need oh. to be polygamous. Yeah, in, in Doctrine and Covenants 132, it is still in Mormon scripture that polygamy is an eternal 
principle, eternal. So they believe that God gave it to Abraham and, you know, the patriarchs lived it because God asked them to. And boy, was my husband blown away when he went back to Genesis and started reading that God didn't give Hagar <laughs> to, <laughs> to Abraham. It was Sarah's idea, and God had nothing to do with it, you know. But Mormon uh-huh. scripture says that it was God who ordained it. So um, my thinking was very confused until I got into the Bible for quite a while, actually. Interesting. And you brought up uh, the Temple Recommend. Now, can just any old person get that, or is there some requirements that have to be met? There are 14 Temple Recommend questions that you have to pass in order to get a Temple Recommend. And I don't know if I can find them real quick here, but I can give you the gist of them. You need to be attending church regularly for at least a year. You need to have paid tithing for at least a year. Now, that that's an interesting one for me. Now, as a Christian, that sounds a little like paying your way to heaven. But you cannot live with God the Father unless you have a temple recommend, and you can't get one unless you pay tithing for at least a year. You have to live with... How much? How much? How much are those? Yeah. Ten percent on your growth, supposedly on your growth. Yeah. So we did that for 30 years. Oh, wow. So someone, a reporter tried to estimate in the late 90s how much the church was bringing in and figured they were looking at something like five, six billion a year just in tithing alone. The Mormon church also owns for-profit businesses and non-for-profit businesses that are under the corporation of the president, they call it. Um, the president of the church or the prophet. So in Florida, the Mormon church owns more private land than any other private entity. They have oh. something like, what is it, 44,000 head of cattle, I think I read. And um, those are for-profit businesses. Now, you know, most little churches report to their people how much they bring in every month, where every penny goes. The Mormon Church never, ever, ever discloses how much is coming in or how much is going out. They will say at their semi-annual conference, our um, CPA folks have looked at our books, everything is good, <laughs> you know, basically. <laughs> so, wow. So you'll actually be, what, periodically audited to make sure that you meet those requirements you're giving enough money uh, just to be allowed to get in the temple. Yes, there's something called um, tithing settlement. Every December at the end of the year, every bishop does a personal tithing settlement one-on-one and or with an entire family. And the little church computer will spit out how much you've given them during the year. And then the bishop looks right at you and asks you, are you a full tithe payer? Is this 10% of your income this year? And you say yes or no. And um, usually it's not a problem unless you're living in a million-dollar home and you're paying 10000 a year or something, you know, that's another <laughs> question. <laughs> 
But I also know that people pay things like property and tithing or stocks and bonds. And I know that because one of my sons ended up uh, buying a townhouse and the realtor ended up being from the Mormon church. And she was explaining to us that, you know, sometimes people give all kinds of things in tithing to the church. It's a very wealthy, wealthy entity. Interesting. Wow. So, um, yeah, you know, going back, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here, but uh, just popped in my mind that uh, you brought up polygamy, and I guess uh, since we've been destroying the meaning of the word marriage, uh, I guess recently I heard this on VCY America that there is a judge in Utah right now that is fighting for uh, polygamy. You know, what does it matter if it is three consensual adults or four consensual adults, you know? Well, I think that's a natural outgrowth, right, of the whole idea that men and men can marry, women and women can marry. Why can't we kind of decide any consenting adult can do anything and make it legal? Um, That's really interesting because in Mormon scripture, it's an eternal principle. Men expect to live it in the next life. But it's a little embarrassing for the Mormon church that it's been in their past, and they really try to distance themselves from it. Let me give you a little of the history, though. Um, Abraham Lincoln hated polygamy, and he hated the Mormons for practicing polygamy. So Utah was at the time a territory of the United States, and Lincoln was the president. So in the middle of the Civil War, 1862, Lincoln had Congress pass what's called the Moral, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, anti-bigamy law, so that it would actually be illegal for Mormons to practice polygamy. They were trying to become a state, and he wouldn't allow them to be a state as long as they were doing two things that he considered to be ethically and morally inappropriate, and one was polygamy, and the other was racism. In 1852, Brigham Young stood in front of the Utah Territory Legislature and encouraged them to become a slave territory, and they became the only slave territory in the United States. So I don't think any people know that. Some wealthy slave owners had joined Mormonism, gone west, and so um, even today the African-American population in Utah is a half a percent. Oh, wow. Um, not usually thought of as a friendly place. And the other problem with that is you have in the Book of Mormon and in the Doctrine and Covenants two of their, you know, four scriptures, things that say that dark skin is a curse. There's actually something in the Book of Mormon with uh, people who Lamanite skin had been turned dark because they were unrighteous. Well, when they joined up again with the righteous Nephites, it says in the Book of Mormon, their skin turned from dark to white again. Uh. So you have these, there are 26 such scriptures throughout Mormon scripture. 
No one talks about them. They're embarrassed by them. They don't want you to see them. But the problem is if you say it's wrong and you try to take it out, then Joseph Smith, who's their founding prophet, becomes suspect, right? Uh-huh. Right, right. So some of this I learned by being a tenured professor at Brigham Young and being assigned to teach multiculturalism because our accrediting agency was requiring it. And there was not a lot of diversity at BYU, and we weren't doing a good job of attending to diverse issues. So I, my boss and I and another colleague eventually went out got a, an $800,000 grant from the government to bring minorities into our college at BYU. And so oh, wow. that, I mean, that's a whole experience that I describe in the book, Unveiling Grace. But now I thank God that he gave me that experience of trying to teach multiculturalism at BYU because my students who had been generational Mormons knew of these scriptures and knew of these principles that I wasn't even aware of. And I eventually learned that blacks had not been allowed to go to BYU in the 1960s. And then some of the schools in their football league were refusing to play with, uh, play football with them because they wouldn't ha- allow black players and, uh, sure. Blacks were not allowed to hold the Mormon priesthood, which meant they couldn't go to the temple, which meant you couldn't end up living with Heavenly Father, but you could be a servant to someone else who did. And that was true in the Mormon church until 1978. So racism doesn't really exist a whole lot within the ranks of of Mormons now, right? Or or is it still kind of under the surface there a little bit well i i would say your average mormon is not necessarily racist however what do you do with those scriptures that are racist right. and do you believe those scriptures and if you if you believe they came from god what do you do with that so uh, the um let's see it's lds.org is their official website And I wrote a series of blogs on the racism last February or so, and it says on their website that their scriptures are pure truth and utterly reliable. So then to bring up some of these scriptures that, um, you know, support polygamy and support the idea that dark skin is a curse, um, I just couldn't deal with that. You know, once I began to recognize that those things were there, I was getting quite uncomfortable with the church. But you know what? I liked my position, and I was full of pride, and I don't think I would have walked out of that church if God didn't do something um, really amazing in my life. So let's let's talk about that. Like, how did the the ball get rolling here? Uh, it sounds like uh, your your son Matt was involved with the Mormons. Uh, your son Micah, uh, your husband Michael. How did this all start happening? Mike and I eventually had Josh, Matt, Micah, 
and Katie, all very active in the faith, and all three of those sons served Mormon missions. Josh was in Russia for two years, Matt was in Denmark for two years, and Micah was supposed to go to Mexico City. Now we begin to see how the real God can work. While while Micah, our third son, was in the Missionary Training Center in Provo, preparing to learn Spanish and uh, learn how to teach the Spanish people all about Mormonism, out of the blue, his lung collapsed. Oh. He ended up in the hospital. He he said I was playing basketball, but there wasn't even any physical contact. I don't know what happened. He said all of a sudden it just felt like someone had shot him. So I'm sitting by Micah's side in the Provo Hospital and worrying to death that he's going to not believe in the Mormon prophet because the Mormon prophet said he was going to Mexico City, and now I'm knowing that this is a serious enough health problem. They're probably not going to send him out of the States, right? Especially not to Mexico City. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Micah ended up in the happiest place on earth, Orlando, Florida, middle of the Bible Belt. And this kid was so zealous for Mormonism, he believed that if he could bring Christian pastors to Mormonism, the whole congregation would turn. So Michael was out three weeks when he tried to teach his first Christian pastor. That pastor was a large African-American former football player, Pentecostal pastor who threw his arms around Micah and asked God to break the spirit of blindness over this young man. Three months out, that was three weeks out, three months out, one Sunday evening, he and his companions stopped by Calvary Baptist Church in Winter Garden, Florida, sat through the service, approached the pastor afterwards, set up an appointment to teach him the Mormon gospel. I think he said it was a Tuesday morning. (laughs) They teach him, you know, they walk through the first Mormon discussion with him. And like I said, he was so hopeful because this guy had been silent through the whole thing. And then the pastor simply said to him, I understand that you are zealous for this gospel, but this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he opened the Bible and read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone could boast. And uh, read a number. He knew enough about Mormonism to pull out some passages that Micah said he'd never heard and just made him angry as can be. So Micah eventually pulls out the Book of Mormon, throws a verse at him that basically tells him he's going to hell if he doesn't believe, right, the Mormon gospel. And Micah (laughs) says, as he and his companion are stomping out, this wonderful pastor took him by the shoulders, turned him around, and said, Elder Wilder, I promise you that if you read the New Testament like a child with no preconceived notions, God will open your eyes and you will never be the same. Oh, yeah. So he's he's got a dilemma, right? He doesn't know the Bible as well because he's been studying Mormon scriptures. 
doesn't really trust it, but he knows if he's going to be bumping heads with evangelicals, he's got to know the Bible better. Besides, the Bible should corroborate Mormon doctrine, right? If it's true. Oh, sure. <laughs> so Micah begins to get up before his companion, about an hour before his companion in the morning, and just Micah and the New Testament and the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. And he says he read the New Testament probably 15 times over maybe an 18-month period of time. Oh, wow. Until one day. I mean, he doesn't have any Christians to ask questions to, right? Can't get on the Internet or anything. (laughs) He said one morning it just dawned on him this was not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, this this New Testament gospel was not the same as the gospel of Mormonism. And that right. he needed to make a choice if he was going to follow the Savior. So he gives his life to the biblical Jesus and, and literally says, God, you have so profoundly changed my life through the reading of the word. What do you want me to do and who do you want me to tell? Now, Mike is a leader in his mission, right? <laughs> He's a good woman, kid. Gets up from his knees, phone rings. It's the leader, his, his mission president. And the mission president says, Micah, you're three weeks from going home. I'd like to invite you on Wednesday to stand in front of fellow missionaries and bear your testimony of what you've learned over the last two years. You have some idea of where this is going? Now, can you imagine how encouraged the kid was 20 years old? Wow, praise God. And he knew professing biblical Christianity could very well mean he would lose his fiancée back home, his parents, his siblings. his his. He was a physics major at BYU, his scholarship, you know, And he didn't know what he was going to do, right? But God had so profoundly touched him that he then stood. In fact, his mission president suspected something was up with Micah, he told us later, because he was only bearing testimony of Christ and not of the Mormon church and not of Joseph Smith and not of the (laughs) Mormons. And he'd been noticing that for several months now. So... So the missionary uh, mission president did a two-hour training on how you don't have a proper Mormon testimony if you don't say the Book of Mormon is true. Joseph Smith was a prophet. We have a living prophet today that speaks for God. Anyway, Micah said it. The, the last thing he said was, "And Jesus is our Savior." And he said, "Micah just went." You know, his eyes were open to the fact that that seemed all about the organization and that Jesus was kind of an add-on. Right. So he ends up standing in front of these missionaries and saying, I've been reading the New Testament and Jesus is enough. And then he begins to pull out scriptures like, I read that um, Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. I don't need a prophet in the middle, you know. And uh, so he, two days after he bore that testimony, he was called in by his leader um, 
probably a two to three hour inquiry. They took his temple recommend away, which is like losing your salvation. Told him he was no longer worthy to be a Mormon missionary. Um, he had the spirit of the devil in him. He was an antichrist, and they were sent. Oh my home. goodness! <sighs> for for trusting in Christ alone and not his works, he is now of the devil, and he's lost his his salvation, according to Mormon theology. Makes you an apostate, yes. Which is, and one wow. of the temple recommend questions asks whether you affiliate with any individual or group. Um, I don't know if they use the word apostate, but that uh, is contrary to the Mormon Church. So all of a sudden, with that decision, that's what happens. Then you have this warm, fuzzy culture, and all of a sudden you're shoved out. You know. So they put him on a plane and send him home, and we get a phone call that our son has spirit of the devil in him, and that he's an antichrist, and they're sending him home three weeks early, right, from a two-year mission. <laughs> so totally confused, you know. Um, they asked us when he got home to bring him in front of the high council, 12, actually 15 men that kind of judge you, and we knew they would excommunicate him for professing a God of grace instead of works. Um, but Mike and I were confused because we had been Christians before we were Mormons, and we thought Mormons were Christians, so we thought it was the same Jesus. So we just couldn't figure out why he was in so much trouble. If he was a little off base, why don't you just love him back? What's, you know, why are you so angry with him? Well, Mike and I ended up not taking him in for that excommunication and putting him on a plane and getting him out of Utah. He went back to Florida and had a job. And honestly, I don't know what kind of uh, communication he and God had that he knew he knew from the time he left his mission that he would have a ministry and the day he left Utah he began his ministry it's called Adam's Road they've been together for eight years now they're all former Mormons Um, two are my sons one's my son-in-law and my daughter um, and they've had a new young man join them recently who just left his Mormon mission because he read our book. Someone sent it to him while he was on his Mormon mission. He read it and left his mission, and he's traveling with them right now. They're in Texas. And, um, God yeah, is I, good. <laughs> amen. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, unveilinggrace.com, and, yeah, I can see uh, – kind of a short little bio on each of them that so are they part of a little band you mean adam's road ministry yeah yeah um yes they do music what they do is they put the word to music and they focus on the word that um teaches the god of grace instead of the god of works and so it's amazing. They have had one album per year. I think they have eight or nine albums now, and um, they're all free downloads, and they just preach the simple gospel. So that's what they do, and they travel. They have a tour bus. They go and speak at churches 
we were on the road with them last year because the book came out. My husband and I were with them for six months or five months, something like that. And we probably spoke at churches five times a week. And oh, my goodness. And they tell their story. And my husband and I often do workshops and go through the false Christ, false prophet, uh, false gospel scriptures. You know, so that people are prepared and their kids are prepared so that they don't jump into a false gospel like we did. Right. So so Micah came out first and, and then what happened? Well, he began he challenged his younger sister to read the Bible. He challenged his older brother. Matt was a piano performance major about to start his senior year at Brigham Young. And there's an honor code at Brigham Young. If, you, if you've held a temple recommend and been a good, active member of the Mormon Church and you leave Mormonism, you cannot stay at BYU, you cannot enroll in classes, and you cannot graduate. So here's a young man who had practiced the piano eight hours, ten hours a day for years for this uh, piano performance um, future and got to his senior year, professed biblical Christianity, left BYU and joined the ministry. (laughs) And Micah, of course, did not go back to get his physics degree. He's been helping people find the God of grace out of Mormonism now for eight years. He and his wife and Matt and his wife and then my baby Katie ended up marrying Joseph, who was a missionary with Micah, and Micah started sharing with Joseph, and Joseph read the New Testament, came to Jesus, joined the ministry, and then married my daughter. So <laughs> God has just been, you know, he's good. And I never knew there was a God that's real like this, who can answer prayer, who's personal, who shows up at strange places just to let you know that he loves you, that answers prayer, uh, that makes scriptures jump out at you, um, that orchestrates really the days of your life. And I am so grateful. I'm actually in my 60s now to know this God before I die. (laughs) Wow. Amen. So... So what about you and Michael? Uh, same thing, just challenged to read the New Testament, and you started reading it and found that it didn't quite match up, or was there something else that happened? Before we put Micah on the plane to get him out of Utah so we wouldn't be excommunicated, he begged us, Mom and Dad, he gave us the same challenge that that pastor had given him, Pastor Benson. Micah finally met Pastor Benson a month ago, and I'll tell you that story in a minute. It's been <laughs> 10 years since he challenged him. Um, Micah said, Pastor Benson has a large church up in the Chicago area now. He used to be in Florida. Um, okay, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, oh, he, he uh, Micah challenged you uh, okay. right before going on the plane. Yeah, Micah challenged, gave us the same challenge that that pastor had given him. Mom and Dad, please just read the New Testament like a child with no preconceived notions, like you've never seen it before, and see what God does. 
And so Mike and I, of course, we didn't trust it, but because Micah had challenged us and we wanted to figure out what the heck was going on with his life, we began to read. And the very first verse I read was John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And my brain went, wait a minute, if he was God from the beginning, he couldn't have worked his way to Godhood. I believe for 30 years he started out as a spirit child, he got a body, worked his way to Godhood, you know. <laughs> so God just opened my eyes. I suppose it was time, right? And um, 10 months of reading the New Testament until I went face down one night after watching the movie Luther. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Luther says in there, I'm yours, save me. He just says that to God. And I laid face down, put my arms out in the shape of a cross, just like Luther had. And I said, I'm yours, save me. I had no idea what this God could do. And uh, really, my life began to immediately change. Um, so that was October of 06, Christmas of 06. I took my garments off put a cross around my neck. I'm still at BYU. You can't have crosses on campus. I had to hide it under my clothes. <laughs> my husband was a few months behind me, so but I knew he was getting there. So, you know, we were underground for a while. The end of that year, I left BYU. God supernaturally got me a job here. I had not even applied for. Someone called me up said, uh, are you Dr. Lynn Wilder? Yes. I have your Vita in front of me, and I'd like to offer you a job. And I'm freaking out, holding the phone out, talking to God, going, you can do that? You can, like, give me a job I didn't even apply for? You know, I knew it was God. <laughs> but he was, he, this God just freaked me out a lot, because I'd never had any of those kind of experiences that were so personal, you know. So, but all of that is in the book, Unveiling Grace, the story of how we found our way out of the Mormon church. It's doing really well. I hear from people every day who are rethinking whether they could actually trust um, a God of grace, which is God's work, right? It's God's work, not ours. So because of the yeah. book, my husband and I have kind of been forced into ministry uh, because people contact us who read the book. So nearly daily now, I hear from Mormons finding their way out of the church and trying to figure out if there is another Jesus and if he's different and what his nature is and whether they want him or not. You know, they feel pretty burned. So... Mm. I'm wow. still working a full-time professor job, and the rest of my life is all this ministry stuff. And I had no idea at this age. I thought I might be retired, but I think I might die working. Who knows? Well, yeah, right. You know, in Christ, boy, you never retire, do you? You just change positions. You know, as as time goes on, you find yourself in more ministry roles. And uh, wow, that is so neat. So. I see you have your book, Unveiling Grace. I also noticed it looks like you have a video, Unveiling Grace, as well. Yes, and there's another book my husband and I wrote together called Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism. It's a quick hundred-page uh, doctrinal difference between Mormonism and Christianity. Um, God had me write those two books in about four or five months. 
that was <laughs> crazy, but but definitely a work of the spirit. You know, it just kind of flowed. So uh, what's happening right now in the Mormon Church is that. Thousands of folks are leaving every year. They're reading on the Internet that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, that he had a wife as young as 14, that 11 of his wives he took from other men. Um, and, and when you begin to research some of the history and stuff, it's just a shock because you don't know that in the church and you really reverenced him. But the Internet's out there now, and any young kid can type in Joseph Smith and find all kinds of stuff. So there's a real exit from the Mormon church right now. Good. But those folks tend to want to go to atheism. They throw out the Jesus um, with the bad bathwater. So um, that's a mission field for us, right? That's a lot right. of people that are losing their families and... Um, confused and angry, and I was there. Literally, I would say it took me five years to go from Mormon teachings to be solidly biblical. I had so many untruths in my head that God had to kind of deal with them one by one, and I had to figure out what was true. Okay, if there's no pre-existence, you know, if I wasn't a spirit child before I came to earth, then when did I begin to exist, and how does that work? So everything I've been taught in Mormonism, then I had to question, and then I had to find the answer to that question in the Bible. And Christian pastors often don't have any idea how to deal with you because if you don't know Mormonism, you don't understand that thinking, you know. So God has raised up a bunch of us now who have left Mormonism, come to biblical Christianity, who totally can help folks make that very difficult and emotionally tragic sometimes transition. But boy, in the end, you've got some really strong Christians who are used to doing good works, who are ready to go, you know, not afraid to evangelize. Praise God for that. Yeah. So, um, is there a website you would prefer people, if, if, uh, the listeners here today want to come and purchase your books. Obviously, they can get them on Amazon, but is there a website that you would prefer they go to? Or any Barnes & Noble or typically any Christian bookstore will, will have Unveiling Grace. But our website is unveilingmormonism.com. Unveilingmormonism.com. You can get the book there. Or at our kids' ministry, adamsroadministry.com. AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Okay, unveilingmormonism.com mm-hmm. and unveilinggrace.com. I also noticed, and uh, a lot of my listeners is, uh, have the same problem as me. There's just not enough time to sit down and read. I noticed that you have an audio version on Audible. Yeah. Uh, as you were talking, I went ahead and threw it. I, I threw it in the cart. So. Uh, that will be downloaded as soon as we stop here today. Uh, I can't wait to check that out. Unveiling Grace, then, it, it, it's your whole story about how, I'm sure it's the extended version of the story of how this all went down, how you became a Mormon and how you came out. Yes. 
starts out Micah's senior year where he's preparing for his mission and we're all excited and then it takes you back into how we went into Mormonism, how the kids grew up, what our our life was like. The number one thing I hear from people is they can't put it down. So I don't know what it is, but the spirit wrote the book, so it's not my fault, you know. <laughs> and then there's the, then you get the whole story about what happened to Micah, although it's from my point of view, so you're not going to know all those details, you know. Um, and then what Mike and I went through, and, and I think there are 12 testimonies of people that are either my family or attached to my family that eventually leave Mormonism and come to Christ. And then in the end, I, I tell all these wonderful things that God did, answered prayer, you know, giving me a job, um, money disappearing and reappearing, you know, all these amazing things that uh, this God is capable of that uh, the Mormon God is not. And so um, in the back of the book, there's a wonderful doctrinal comparison, Mormon scripture side by side with Bible scripture that gives you some of the basic differences. And then um, there's also an appendix that gives all the kind of reliable ministries that know Mormonism really well, if you have a friend that's struggling. Um, and what else is in the back of the book, Mike? Oh, I don't remember. But the best doctrinal guide you will ever find to compare Mormonism and Christianity, the Adams Road did. And so on the Adams Road Ministry website, there's something called an LDS Doctrine Topical Guide. And what they do is go through uh, Mormon ideas like contention and give you all the Bible verses that refute the Mormon idea. So what? Oh is, wow, that's yeah. Where do they find that again? Um, AdamsRoadMinistry.com, and then they have a like a resources tab, and this is called LDS Doctrine. Topical guide. So you can look up temple, and then it gives you all the scriptures that say things like God doesn't live in temples made by man's hands, you know. Or you look up high priest, which Mormons have high priests, and you get the truth out of the Bible. Whether man can see God, you know, and then it'll go through all those scriptures because Joseph Smith supposedly saw God and he had a body of flesh and bone. Wow. Okay, here it is. Okay, AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Or wait, no, it's Adams AdamsRoadBand.com. Either that's right. Get you there. Yeah. Either okay. that'll get you there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Great. Yeah. So okay, well, Lynn, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you today. Uh, I know this is going to be a huge blessing to to my listeners. They're going to eat this up. Uh, it's been great. Thanks for, for being a guest on the podcast. We would be thrilled to come back. You, you'd you be much more thrilled to talk to Micah. He just has such a love for his Savior. He's very tenderhearted. Um, and my husband and I are welcome to be on any time that you want to talk doctrinal differences. Um, it's very important to us that the whole idea of false Christ, false gospel, false scripture, I mean, there's 
It's all over the New Testament that in the last days this is going to be very prevalent that even the elect would be deceived. And we do see high school kids and college kids that were raised Christian uh, marching into Mormonism. I, yeah, absolutely. I would love to have you guys back. I would love to talk to Micah. Uh, I'd love to talk to you some more about doctrine. Uh, sounds like a plan. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. And check out the website, Unveiling Mormonism. All right, guys. So there you have it. Uh, you know, I've been thinking, and I've been praying about this, and I know that there are many of you out there who want to witness, want to share your faith, uh, you mean well, but, well, think back with me over the last month. Have you witnessed to anybody in the last month? I want to issue a challenge to all of those out there that don't witness, you know, I mean, many of us Christians... It's a day-to-day thing. It just happens. And God aligns all kinds of divine appointments in our path. But some of us out there uh, haven't witnessed to somebody this entire week or month. Gosh, maybe it's been six months. I want to issue a challenge to you today. I want you to go out. Well, first, stop and pray about it, right? Talk to our Father about this and say, Lord... Put somebody in my path. Give me a divine appointment. Send somebody to me that I can talk to and share my faith with. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, show me how to follow through. Give me uh, the boldness. Lord, help me where I'm weak. And give me the boldness and put those words in my mouth that I might share my faith with them. Friends, don't worry about them dropping on their knees right there on the spot and given their life to Christ, okay? Uh, that's going to put way too much pressure on you. If it happens, wow, praise God. That would be great. Uh, but no, just challenge. I'm challenging you to go out within the next two to three days and witness to somebody, okay? Pray to the Father that He would set you up with a divine appointment, and then be ready, guys, because when you ask, I'm telling you, you will receive <laughs> and um, you know what catch me on Facebook shoot me an email come to my website something get back to me and tell me what happened I would love to hear what happened and friends I'll take the challenge with you so over the next we'll just say three days you got three days to get out there and talk to somebody God be with you guys let's share our faith let's get this out there let's fulfill that great commission i love you guys and i'll see you next monday i can't wait to hear back from you about what goes on in the next three days take care